HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. Learn about the wonderfully tart Montmorency cherry at choosecherries.com. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this journey through culinary history. And if you tune in to any social media sites or log on to your favorite cooking recipe pages these days, you know it's all about comfort food. The current coronavirus pandemic has people staying at home and seeking comfort by cooking way more than usual. (laughs) What are we cooking? We're cooking comfort food. And what's that? You know, comfort food is something to in special to, to each individual. So I asked a group, several different groups of people, ages 4 to 74, to name their comfort food. And the responses were emphatic and surprisingly broad-ranged. Commonly, they name, no surprise, meatloaf, stews, macaroni and cheese, grilled cheese, and a big exclamation point, pizza, (laughs) lasagna, tomato soup, chili, chicken noodle soup, chicken pot pie, and don't forget the home-baked sweets, chocolate chip cookies, cakes, banana bread, buttermilk pie, and home-baked bread. Oh, so much bread. Stop me when you hear your favorite. Oatmeal, fried chicken, close to my heart, mashed potatoes. But then there were the not-so-common, like congee, couscous, quesadillas, Vietnamese pho, ramen, biryani, spaghetti carbonara. Yeah, less common, yet all part of today's culinary canon. Call it a globalization of comfort food. Historically, people turned to these familiar dishes in a time of crisis and uncertainty, uncertainty and that's where we are, right? And it's also sort of the definition of comfort food itself. Food we turn to when we need comfort, security, or escape from loneliness. According to Wikipedia, comfort food is food that provides a nostalgic or sentimental value to someone. And it may be characterized by hmm, high caloric nature, high carbohydrate level, uh, maybe a lot of sugar. But interestingly enough, simple preparation. 
The nostalgia may be specific to an individual or apply to a specific culture. All of this is basically a coddling, a soothing, a childhood feeling of being taken care of. It might be adultly dressed up. Those mashed potatoes that were close to my heart? Mm-hmm. Truffled mashed potatoes, try that. Or macaroni with four cheese fondue. But the concept is the same. Generous amounts of fat and refined carbs. And as one writer put it, they're the indulgent foods we probably shouldn't crave but do. Call it a guilty pleasure at the end of a stressful day. And by the way, no one said salad was their favorite comfort food. And what is so very poignant in today's pandemic crisis is the this pandemic crisis state of isolation is the observation by researchers that comfort food serves as a surrogate, fulfilling a need to belong. My guest today, Lucy Long, has studied the many meanings of comfort food. And in fact, in 2017, she co-edited a book, co-edited a book with Michael Owen Jones called Exactly That, Comfort Food, Meanings and Memories. Lucy Long is a folklorist, and she received her doctorate in folklore and folklife from the University of Pennsylvania. She has taught at many different universities on American culture and folklore, and she is the director of the Center for Food and Culture in Bowling Green, Ohio. She has researched food's role in constructing, performing, and negotiating meaning, identity, community, and power since the 1980s and has published numerous articles and documentaries on a variety of topics around food, including the books Culinary Tourism, for which she was a guest on my show several years ago, and Regional American Food Culture and Ethnic American Food Today and many others. But the comfort food, meaning and memories, is what we're going to talk about today. Welcome, Lucy. Thank you. You You know, your co-editor of the book, Michael Owen Jones, called comfort food the culinary equivalent of a big hug. And all of this discussion and study of comfort food raises the question about the concept and nature of food itself. And of course, begs the philosophical question, shouldn't all food comfort? Yes, that was that that particular question. Shouldn't all food be comforting? That was one of the the driving questions for me. Um, And I say that partly because if you take a global perspective, do other, we don't know if other cultures actually use the phrase comfort food. We are finding out there are kind of equivalents, but Americans have a very distinctive relationship with food. It's it's very conflicted, as they like to say. Um, we need it for nutritional purposes, obviously, you know. But there's there's a certain amount of morality that is attached to food. We tend to talk about, oh, I was bad. I ate potato chips, uh-huh. or uh, I'm going to sneak in and and have this dessert. You know, don't don't tell anybody. <laughs> so so there's this morality about. We have good food and bad food. 
And a lot of that goes back to some of the philosophical foundations of American culture um, in which there's a suspicion of uh, sensual and physical pleasures. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not supposed to be too much of this world, you know, and if you're really, really enjoying your food, <laughs> you know, you're definitely right here in the present, very physical. So there, there tends to be a suspicion historically of that. Now, most of us today would not, we would not say, oh, we're suspicious of that. However, it's one of those kind of underlying philosophies that's a foundation of our culture that we don't even recognize. But yeah. we see it coming out in how people talk about food. Certainly the fact that, I mean, we are all now, you know, calorie and carbohydrate and high fat conscious. So certainly to be eating these foods, you know, that, that holdover of that Puritan ethic of, oh, it must be bad for me, you know, I feel guilty and I shouldn't be eating it. Um, that certainly holds true today. Yes, yes. And, you know, they, the basic philosophy has definitely been adapted to talk about health and, and how we're treating our bodies. You know, so, um, you know, so we do tend to look at obesity as, as a moral issue. It's not just a matter of nutrition and lifestyle at all. Um, you know, yeah. even that's, that, those, those are very subtle kinds of things. So, <laughs> um, you know, but we do see it in, in how, we, how we end up talking about food and using the concept of comfort food to then allow us to eat things that, you know, that we normally would say, oh, this is not healthy. This is not nutritional. This is fattening. You know, but if we say it's comfort food, <laughs> right. well, you know, you mentioned uh, that so it's, we can now comfort food is, is kind of an American concept. Certainly, we know that in uh, in England, there's always the British nursery food, right? And that puddings, bangers and mash, uh, shepherd's pie, um, but they called it nursery food. And when they would speak of, um, oh, look at that fellow over there; he's eating nursery food. He was eating puddings. Um, it it was never comfort food, but nursery food had the same meaning. But interestingly enough, you um, you mentioned the first written documentation of the term comfort yes. food. You want to tell us about that? It was surprising to me. Yes, yes. In in 1966, Dr. Joyce Brothers was writing in her column um, that comfort food, or the idea of comfort food, tended to be associated with obesity. And that people were using the idea that they needed comfort as an excuse to eat things that were then fattening. So, um, So she kind of introduced it. It didn't really become common in the United States until 1977, when Phyllis Richmond, um, a food writer for the Washington Post, wrote about Southern food, calling it, calling it comfort food. Um, and then she, and she actually points out there too yeah. that other people have different types of dishes that would be comfort food. So, and 
you know, so that I think, you know, seeing it in places like newspapers, people started, it started seeming. Well, it, oh, that's yeah, why I say yeah, it, just, it surprised me that it was, you know, as late as 1966 and then common in 1977. I would have thought it was around forever. Right. Well, it it didn't really, it wasn't really, I think, being used that much in, in American food culture until the late 1990s and early 2000s. Um, and, and part of that was marketing. The American culture, um, one of its strengths or one of its skills is marketing. And marketers are always trying to find new categories so that they can, they can sell new products. <laughs> you know, so if foods are being labeled comfort foods, then, then people start getting the idea that, oh, there is this category. Um, and with, through marketing, it was being associated with childhood, obviously, the, sort of the Norman Rockwell concepts of, you know, or images of childhood and family. Um, and then it was just being, it was being connected also to just a need for relief from stress in general. Um, mm-hmm. So one of the, a, a food writer, Brett Thorne, in 2001, started writing in, she, she wrote a column in, um, in a restaurant newsletter, you know, saying that this, this is actually a category that restaurants need to pay attention to. And they you know, did. That, that, yes, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was on their, I mean, mashed potatoes came back in force on, on certainly diner menus never left it, but I mean, in, um, in very hip restaurants and, and current restaurants, they brought back a lot of these foods. They found that for whatever it was, the 2001, uh, well, we, you know, rough times, people needed some of this comfort in some way, some of this, this, um, I don't know if it was nostalgia or what, but there, but then they, the scientists went, came in and they did, they did some studies that showed that this high fats, the, the fatty acids, right. They, they do trigger a sense of emotional, um, elevation, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Although, I don't have a background in nutritional science or right. food right. chemistry, <laughs> so I kind of stay away. I do, I do read the articles and and I do reference a lot of those um, in my own work, but I don't have the expertise to really comment on that. Well, so, we'll just have to take I, we'll have I, to take it on face value from them then. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, you so. you have been I mean, you've been doing a lot of studying and writing on comfort foods over these past 5 years and I mean, I'm sure were you at all surprised with the social boom of everyone talking? In fact, you even we were people on on a, one of the listservs that we both are members of all of a sudden, this there was this boom of people talking about comfort food and cooking, and, and uh, I'm sure that you were not at all surprised, were you? No, no, I wasn't. <laughs> so, food, food is something that has always given us the potential for connections with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the the motto for my center is nourishing connections to food through food. 
Um, and so it's not surprising at all that at a time when people are physically isolated um, and there's a lot of stress, very real stress about uh, economics and, and health um, and politics and just people are very worried about, about their own lives. And it's not surprising at all that food, that is something that, that gives us these connections on an everyday basis, but we frequently are not aware of them. So, so now during this crisis, we're suddenly recognizing those. So making cookies that you got the recipe from your, your grandmother, that gives you that connection to the past. And I, th- I think it's not so much nostalgia as a, a real need to feel connectedness. And that connectedness is giving us comfort. Mm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, you know, you. I want to talk about um, some of your your current work and um, on some of the oral histories, and, and you're doing um, some ethnological studies on on this, and and also discuss some of the differences, how different foods appeal to different peoples. But we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back as soon as we have our break, and we'll talk about your current work. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. A cherry isn't just a cherry. When it comes to tart cherries, the wonderfully U.S.-grown Montmorency tart cherry variety is the cherry with more. They're available year-round, dried, frozen, canned, juice, and concentrate. U.S. Montmorency tart cherries are also one of America's superfruit, which means they're good for you. Tart cherries contain many antioxidants and beneficial phytonutrients, including anthocyanins, the pigments that give tart cherries their bright red color. And don't forget about flavor. U.S. Montmorency's unique sour-sweet profile make them an excellent addition to yogurt, oatmeal, salads, trail mix, and of course, a classic cherry pie. Learn more about the wonderfully U.S.-grown Montmorency Tart Cherry at ChooseCherries.com. Hi, we're back, and I'm speaking with Lucy Long. Uh, Lucy is the co-editor of a book on comfort food, Comfort Food, Meanings and Memories, uh, with Michael Owen Jones, and very interesting observations um, and the essays in the book can... Lucy, do you want to discuss some of maybe some of the more, um, uh, I guess, essays that are more pointed to this particular time that we're in and people seeking comfort food? Is there anything that stands out to you that um, uh, that maybe highlights people's you know need for comfort foods at this time? Yes. Well. I have to recommend all of the articles in here. Of course, <laughs> so of course. <laughs> they, <laughs> right. So, and you know, they they all actually do touch on on slightly different aspects of comfort food. Um, it is very American focused, and that's partly because it had to be in English. That's also partly because we were having conferences in the United States, um, and one of the things we tried to do was find people who were studying this on an international basis 
And so we do, we do have someone um, who was talking about comfort food in Indonesia. Um, and, you know, what, one of the questions that we were looking at, the, the phrase comfort food does seem to be an American one, but the idea of food being used for healing is a very, a very, very old idea mm. in very in, in many ancient cultures. Um, you know, so so the idea that that food can heal you physically, but also spiritually and emotionally, that that is very similar to our concept of comfort food. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, so, and I'm I'm looking at the table of contents here. <laughs> um, so there, there's an article about pudding in England um, and talking about nursery foods. Um, there was an, there's an article about even presidents need comfort food. There's the idea <laughs> of going to a diner in Chicago um, that actually went to, went to this diner with a friend of mine <laughs> and encouraged her to write the article. Um, so let's see, in Rhode Island... Um, let's see, Canada, Finnish American comfort food. Yeah, that I um, noticed. I, I didn't really spend a lot of time with that, but there is a, a Finnish, the, the Finns have a, a lot of um, interesting, they have a, 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 a long tie to the, the comfort foods, right? Yes, yes. Well, and, you know, a lot of it is, it's, it's not that they were thinking we need comfort food, is that their everyday foods have have now been termed, <laughs> have now been recognized as comfort foods. Uh-huh. It's, it's very common for, for if people are traveling or if they move to a new place, a very common way to feel a sense of connection to the old home place is to eat the food from, from, that, from that place. And so that sense of connection then then does translate into comfort. Um, so many ethnic groups do that. It's, it's not only ethnic groups. Um, I'm from North Carolina originally. I, I now live in the Midwest. I've actually lived all over lived all over Asia when I was growing up with a number of other countries. Um, you know, and so my frequently my comfort food is grits and scrambled eggs. Mm. You know, so that's that's a regional thing for me. So so whatever it is that's defining our identity, our heritage that takes us back to our childhood, <laughs> um, that that can be very comforting. So many many ethnic groups will have foods that are from from their from their memories of their of their homeland or from their grandparents and. Those do give them that sense of connection with the past, and that's comforting. Right. Yes, um, it's interesting because when I when I put out the ask to several different groups of, of people, some in the culinary world, some um, just children and, and friends, and and there, you know, a lot of those dishes that brought them that connection to the past or their childhood um, reflected our our society today too, of course, which is very international. And, then, and those dishes that were comforting to them wouldn't be comforting to someone, say, who was born and raised in in the Midwest. You know, so it was, it's it's a very personal thing. 
Exactly. Exactly. It's also, there's, there's a fascinating article by a medical sociologist named Julie Locker. Locker, Ooh, I'm not yes. sure exactly how to pronounce mm-hmm. her name. Um, and so she, she talks about um, comfort foods as foods that relieve stress and that there are four categories of needs that are expressed through, through comfort food. Um, see, she labels those nostalgia, indulgence. We all need to feel sometimes like we can just do something for pleasure, <laughs> right? <laughs> Convenience and physical satisfaction. Hmm. You know, so, so she offers those four different categories of comfort foods. Uh, the third category, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, the, um, I couldn't hear the third category after indulgence. Um, conven- convenience. Convenience. Ah, convenience. Some, okay. mm-hmm. Something that's quick and easy. You just need something right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Bag of potato oh. chips. <laughs> and, yes, yes. You know, or that, that, that also, that explains a lot of the you know, people run through a fast food place, just going to spur the moment. You know, they, they just, they need something quick. <laughs> right. Right. So, so that, that can, that relieves the stress of then having to prepare, spend more time preparing something later on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then physical satisfaction is her fourth, her fourth category. Yeah, this was, that's... this was based on on a study of American college students. Mm-hmm. So I think it'd be very interesting to see if this were being done in different cultures, um, would there be different categories? So um, I, I kind of added the category of connectedness, connections, that we all, we all need to feel a sense of connection. Yes. Um, connection to our past, you know, or to our place or to other people. And part of what food does for us is it offers, offers that sense of connection. It can, it can offer it. It also, (laughs) it it also shows us the disconnects. And, And there are times when we see that it actually, there's discomfort around food. That's right. That, and you, that's something that you've been that you've been looking into lately is is discomforting comforting and discomforting food ways. Can you explain a bit of that for us? Well, food ways, I use the word food ways rather than food because food tends to refer just to the dish or the ingredient that we're eating. Mm-hmm. Food ways refers to all the processes and concepts and ways of thinking about food. So what Foodways does for us is it, it offers kind of a framework for systematically looking at all the processes around food and eating. So we can go from um, production, procurement, presentation, preparation, um, consumption, and, and then it ends with cleanup and disposal. <laughs> so, oh, so, and I think I left out preservation. So, it, it, 
it just happened that everything, almost everything starts with a P. I don't, I don't know why that is. Um, but the, the idea is all of these different processes, activities are involved every time we eat something. And all of those different processes can also be sources of memory, sources of meaningful react interactions, meaningful connections. And frequently, food becomes meaningful because of one of those activities. So it's not the food itself. Sometimes it's where it came from, or the fact that you grew it yourself, or that your grandmother made it for you. So if we look at all those different processes, all those different activities involved in food ways, we start seeing places where we can find comfort and discomfort. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people are, are talking about they're starting gardens this year. They're right. ordering seeds. Um, you know, that's um, a lot. A lot of people are, are talking about, well, how do we go to the grocery store? <laughs> you, know, <Yeah. laughs> you know, I think shopping for food is something that, We've always just kind of seen as, oh, it's one of those, one of those chores we have to do. Well, we're suddenly realizing that grocery shopping, this was a social activity for many people, for, for many of us. Even if we didn't think of it that way, um, we usually have our favorite stores. We might have our favorite times to go. And that does give us that sense of connection. Um, and, and then now it gives us discomfort because we're, we're worried about going to the, to the store. Um, so preservation, you know, how, how many of us, how many of us think about how important our refrigerators are? <laughs> yeah, and, until they're, and until now, they're empty. <laughs> right, right. Or the electricity goes off. Right. You know, or, um, you know, if you're, if you're living in, in a place with where you only have a small um, dorm size refrigerator, you know it's not possible to stock up for a week or more. And yeah. so during this time, when when we're supposed to not be going out, not having a large refrigerator that you can stock full, that, that that's a very discomforting kind of idea. Right. It means that then you have to go out. And that's, that can be scary. L looking at comfort, comfort food ways or comforting food ways helps us to see these different aspects of our lives that we previously overlooked. And now we're suddenly being forced to recognize that this stuff matters. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right. Well, another, an, another topic that is not dissimilar are... Um, the ideas of comfort foods in the gender differences that those um, that are recognized in in that in identifying, you know, what's is are there different foods that trigger different feelings in men as opposed to women? You know, that's that's not, I, I haven't studied gender differences in comfort food very much. There uh, are okay. some other researchers who have who have focused on that more. Um, and some of the, some of the differences seem to follow the usual stereotypes. 
um, women are very concerned. um, Women in the U.S. and modern Western women tend to be very worried about how food is going to impact their body, their their physical shape. Mm. Um, and, And so comfort food gives them an excuse to indulge in foods that they would consider fattening. For men, they're not as inter- they're not as concerned with that, and so for them, it seems to be more a a matter of food food that can give them a sense of mastery and control, um, food that gives them a sense of nostalgia if they if they do have good childhoods, <laughs> you know, particularly particularly if it takes them back to places where they felt like they could have control, Um, you know, so with hunting and big pieces of meat. So this is very stereotypical, but it does seem to be the case. Right. Well, in talking about the, you know, the stress relief that that some people feel with um, certain foods, I think I just made, I saw a note in one of the studies that suggested that the consumption of comfort food is triggered in men by positive emotions um, and by negative ones in women. That so that was that was something that I thought was was rather interesting. I'll have to do a little more look into that one in that psychological uh, pattern. That is interesting. Yeah. Well, um, back to back, back to Julie Loker's article on um, uh, that she did on on uh, those nostalgic, indulgent, convenient physical comfort foods. But yes. you said, you mentioned that she was studying college age students. And there was recently an article in the New York Times on um, comfort food. And it was particularly written by young, was by young people, I think four young people, whatever, that um, comfort foods, and they, and they focused on fast foods, processed foods. And she did mention that too, that, that, um, that teenage years or somebody mentioned it in your, maybe one of the essays in your book that um, the younger people tend to go for um, a really high in flavor, either really salty or really, really sweet. And these, because they're primarily processed foods in the teenage years that that they were doing the study with, Um, as opposed to, you know, older people finding, uh, you know, that, that pleasure in, you know, a bowl of soup or a bowl of oatmeal, you know, they, they like the, the high salty snacks and the very sweet uh, processed treats. Um, is that something that, that you have, have found in your current work to be more so more true or are you not um, talking to the young people? I think it makes sense that, that a lot of young people would turn to fast food as their comfort food um, because there are many, many rituals that develop around fast food in modern American society today for, for young people. If you think about where, where do kids go to meet in high school or junior high, they go down to the local fast food place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if they, if they have soccer games, I'm, I'm thinking about with my own kids, I'd take them to soccer. Afterwards, we go by and pick up French fries. And, and there'd be five or six little boys in the van and they're arguing about which French fries 
which place has the best French fries? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, and, and they, they were gourmands of, of, of French fries. <laughs> you know, so but it it was it was a ritual. You know, we would go and get these afterwards. Um, you know, so so I th- I think for, for you know for many of them it is it does take them back to these to these good times in their childhood. I also think there is a sense among the younger generation, not all of them obviously, but but many are are now much more aware of the connection connections between food and the environment. And most of them are very aware that that fast food, that the industrial food um, system today is very, very unhealthy for the environment and as as well as as for the the human body and they they, they like to eat their beliefs <laughs> according to their beliefs, so they don't want to go to fast food places so during this time when they need comfort is kind of an excuse they can go ahead and run through McDonald's even though they don't believe that that that's a good thing to do for the environment or for our health or for our society. Um, so it's kind of a justification <laughs> to go ahead and indulge. And, and it, does take, it does take them back to, to those very meaningful rituals from childhood uh, of going to fast food places. Right, right. I mean, this, there's maybe perhaps sometimes a little too much romanticization of childhood and, and family. Not all childhoods and family feelings were were good ones, but there evidently yes. must always be some food that is that you know people found comfort or sought comfort in in a food item. Well, you know when when we say that nostalgia is a category of comfort food, nostalgia does not necessarily mean childhood. We we do tend to think of that um, and like nursery foods. And things, you know, but nostalgia can be kind of a an affectionate longing for any time in the past, and those times are frequently romanticized. They're in the past, <laughs> so so now we can look back and see the good things about them, you know. So so somebody somebody might have their comfort food be something that they remember eating at their friend's house or something that they would have at their grandmother's, but they would never have at their own home. Mm. Um, or you know, it, it could be something that you know, they, they look back fondly on, on spending time in the military. And although at the time, maybe they, didn't, they did not appreciate it or like it. Um, you know, but looking back, they realized that was a very meaningful time and consuming foods that were eaten then can bring back some of those feelings from, from those times. Um, you know, so that's, that's part of the reason trying to identify what specific dishes are comfort food is so, is so problematic. Because every single one of us has our own life histories, Every single one of us has our own relationships and histories with food. So everyone's going to have different memories 
different emotions being evoked by different foods. That's that's very interesting. That's absolutely correct. You know, and I I had mentioned earlier about um, in my questioning of people uh, what what I'm seeing in social media too is that and that bread baking this home bread baking is just so rampant and wild in in these in these times and and someone asked the question why 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 are so many people baking bread what's you know enough for the bed, bread baking why you don't usually break bake bread i can't even say it bake bread and now suddenly all these people who didn't usually <laughs> bake bread are baking bread and that resonated with something that i read that you had written and that was more about um, our Western culture, and and then correct me if you think it wasn't. It's not the right direction. But people baking bread it's such a hands-on project, right? And they they con- they can control it with the you know the rising the yeast and and they they get to make something from the very beginning to the finish to the finished product project project. And you had written about our. Um, the modern world in general, the industrialization and capitalistic economic philosophy have created this kind of distance between our work or, um, you know, food that we, and the things that we actually use or eat. So rarely do we know where, like the processed food, where they come from. So I thought about this bread baking process and how it really is a, is, must be the satisfying idea of being able to see something through from beginning to end and eat the finished product. And you mentioned something about that earlier, about um, growing food. Um, but when you wrote that about the, the, um, the industrialized society, uh, what, what do you, what, do you have any thoughts on that? Does that, am I off on the wrong path or does that resonate <laughs> to you? No, that, that, that definitely, that definitely does resonate. Um, I thought I thought it was very funny when I first started seeing all all these recipes coming out, all these YouTube videos on how to bake bread, how to catch your own wild yeast, you know, how to um, how to, how to use alternative flowers <laughs> and sourdough um, and you know, sourdough starters <laughs> that are are you know getting out of hand. <laughs> exactly, exactly, and I thought. Well, first of all, I thought it was so funny because for such a long time, people were saying no bread, you know, issues with gluten and too many carbohydrates. And so then all of a sudden, everybody is going back to bread. Um, And and you can kind of see that a little bit as as nostalgia. But but I do do think the, um, the usual critique of modernity, you know, of the modern world, we, we are so removed from producing what we are actually consuming. And that has given this disconnect in our lives. We don't know where things come from. And we don't know, we don't know how they were actually made. We don't understand the effort, the physical energy that's, that is necessary to actually make those things. And, so at a time like this, when we suddenly feel like we have no control 
over what is happening. Nature is taking things back. <laughs> and so as, as humans, you know, I think we're, we really need to have that sense of, of connection. And so part of the, the critique of modernity um, is it, it comes essentially, uh, it's a Marxist critique, which does not mean that, you know, that this is socialism, you know, but, but I think, I think it's a very insightful critique that with industrialization, you had different segments of society that were working on different aspects of food. And, and so it became very segmented. There were farmers, and then there were the factories that were processing the food. Then there were restaurants and grocery stores, and then you might bring it home and actually eat it. You know, but there were all those different links in that industrial food chain. You don't know the people who were, who were in those links. Mm-hmm. They don't know you. It's hard for them to care about you. <laughs> so, so food had turned only into a commodity. It's valued only by how much money it's worth. Um, so we're suddenly recognizing that, oh, wait a minute. First of all, the system is now disrupted. You know, we're not able to get things that we could before. You know, so on, on a very real physical level, we are seeing the system disrupted, and that's very discomforting. A lot of people do not have access to healthy food at the moment, enough food. Um, you know, but on kind of a more emotional or psychological level, we're recognizing that, that, that distance that was created within that system makes us feel untethered. And so in a time like this, we need to somehow find some kind of grounding and, and know where we are, know who That's we right. are. Um, and, and, you know, so, somehow have a sense that we're going to make it through this <laughs> and we're not, we're not alone in it. <laughs> right. I think that's a, a, a no. very positive way to look at it. And, uh, and I think if, if baking a loaf of bread does it for you, then I say, go out and bake some bread and Lucy, go have a bowl of grits. I think. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you so much. I, I, I really appreciate your, uh, your thoughtful comments on all this. It's really, I look forward to more of your work that you are currently involved with in, in uh, this, on this topic. And I encourage people, if you want to know more about those comfort foods you're eating, no, not more about the foods, but the why behind the foods you're eating, um, you should check out the book, Comfort Foods, Meanings and Memories. And Lucy Long, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure. A Taste of the Past is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. 
tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.